Seven points from nine, two wins from three. It's hard to temper the growing optimism that is surrounding this Norwich City team at the moment. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio Recording just a few hours after Norwich City's 3-1 victory over Millwall at Carrow Road. And uh, what a performance it was as well. I'm your host, Connor Southwell, joined by Samuel Seaman and Paddy Davitt to reflect on everything that we saw in NR1 this afternoon. Uh, we've also made some additions to our backdrop, which we will come to. Um, but Paddy, first and, uh, first and foremost, just give us a, a reflection of that performance because for you know we spent last season talking about performances and maybe how they weren't a lot of the time where they needed to be. It, it, it is, as I said, a growing optimism, a growing sense that, you know, you speak to people at the moment and they will tell you, oh, there's a, there's a feeling, there's a good feeling around this. And that comes from results, admittedly, but there's also su- substance behind, uh, behind those results at the moment. The performances are causing a great deal of excitement at the moment. And can, can you see why off the base of today and what we've seen so far this season? Absolutely, yeah. And obviously, you know, we'll... I don't want to be trying to lapse into manager speak, but it's only three games, and let's keep our feet on the ground. Why? Why wouldn't you want to get carried away? Because the unending cycle of misery that was the last eleven, twelve games of last season. You want some. If you're an Norwich fan, you want to. If you're going to Car Road, you want to go there, feel optimistic, feel entertained, come away feeling good about your football team. And um, yeah, three games in in the league plus the F, uh, the Carabao Cup win at the death at QPR in midweek and um, I think David Wagner said it best this afternoon post-match where he said listen and he talked about it publicly he had a feeling that in pre-season things were coming together he talked I think today about gelling things gelling the new signings coming in and adding what they hoped they would add to the group in terms of the mentality primarily but also quality and experience but that's pre-season and we've all seen pre-seasons where results if you want to measure them by results have gone well and then you get into the season and it's a different story entirely. But there has been a continuation in terms of what we saw in pre-season, both results-wise, performance-wise, and just a, a feeling of a shift you know, in, in the, the outlook and that it, you've got a group of players now who, because even in these four games, they've had adversity, they've had to come from behind, they've not had it all their own way, but they find a way. And then if you overlay onto those type of qualities, those character traits, the quality they do have in the ranks, I mean, you know, Zara again today, he's the conductor of the orchestra, really. Um, such a quality player, far too good for the championship, but that's a different matter entirely. But then you've got the potency now that we're starting to see with Sargent, with Barnes chipping in today with a goal, with Johnny Rowe again. All the elements that you need in terms of quality married with um, a character in the group and a, and, a, and a feeling that if there is adversity, and of course there will be in the championship, there always is in the championship, this group can withstand that and come out the other side and keep moving forward. So, yeah, very intoxicating feeling around this team at the minute. That And, you know, three games in, you look down at the league table, and I know you probably shouldn't even look at the league table, but, you know, third in the table, seven from nine, should have been nine from nine, given how the Southampton game ended and that penalty twist went against them. Um, they really couldn't have done much more, I don't think, uh, to, to signal that there has been a turning of the corner with last season and how that ended. And as we go now into, you know, the real part of this season, that they've set themselves up to have a really good season. What that looks like, still too early to say, you know, in terms of where you benchmark what's possible, what's attainable. But I think irrefutably, even now, three or four games in, 
they won't be finishing thirteenth. This group of players, unless they get some horrendous injury periods, um, and dare I say it, the transfer window comes to, comes into play in a in a negative sense, and we'll get into that probably more in due course. Um, this group of players are not finishing thirteenth, and so anything above that is is optimistic and feels like. Um, Something to be excited about because uh, there was precious little of that, obviously, in the last 11 games or so of last season. Yeah, and, and, and Sam, I mean, today it was so vibrant at Carrow. There was such good energy about the place, and that's on pitch and off pitch as well. And Paddy's right to mention it. You, you reference a lot of the games that were, by the way, three or four league games ago um, when it was so toxic and nasty and there was such a... Uh, I hate using the word disconnect because it was, it was overused last year, but there was a... Um, I'm going to use it because yeah, I'm going to have to use disconnects. I can't think of anything more appropriate. But there, there was a separation between the fans and their demands and expectations to what was being produced on on the pitch. I mean, it it just feels. And again, I go back to that feeling element. And there's a lot of substance that we'll dig into, but purely the feeling feels like it shifted so much in such a short period of time. It feels absolutely ridiculous to be honest that the Blackpool game was three home league games ago, and I think the almost revolution over the summer that David Wagner has been able to undertake with this team. Um, you know, they've made six signings. One was a backup goalkeeper. Five of them have been for free and he's had a pre-season. And with that, the difference between the Blackpool game and what we saw today is it's a completely unrecognisable team. So to be fair to Wagner, I think he deserves his, his dues. And there was a lot of questions asked of him Um at the end of last season and a lot of blame sort of pointed in his direction, probably rightfully after one win in 11 games to end that season. Um, but you can't really ask much more of a coach than to be able to take a team that were where they were at the end of last season and put them where they are now. And, you know, it probably is worth saying that Dean Smith's side started quite well, at least results-wise. But what feels different, as you said, is that atmosphere, that feeling around Carrow Road and it all I think comes from the performance and the fact that it's easy to watch this team and believe that they're going to be able to reproduce this over a season I think you can watch football teams and Dean Smith's Norwich side were included in this where they'll get good results but you don't have any faith that this is a replicable or sustainable system whereas you watch this Norwich team and they're not just winning games by slivers and I know there's been a lot of late goals involved but it's not just luck and grinding out results they're winning the games that they deserve to win and I think they've probably had a decent claim at deserving to win all of the games they've played so far this season so I think it is proof for that whole sort of believe the process sort of idealism and the fact that it's not all just about results and I was a little bit worried coming coming into this season with the transfers that they made that they were almost going to go too far that way when you look at a club that signs Shane Duffy Ashley Barnes talks about experience as much as they did sort of the back end of last season and then when they sign these players and you do worry that there's not going to be much tactical philosophy behind it and they are going to just rely on sort of leadership and being clever to win you games and that isn't going to win you games alone I think Wagner spoke about his press conference before the game the fact that the leaders have come in and have improved the atmosphere in the dressing room. But that would be useless if they were... Um, I don't want to use the same word that he, he used, but if they were playing poorly, then that would be pretty useless. And um, 
I think you can see from this team that he's not resting on his laurels and thinking that the championship experience he's got in the squad is going to get him over the line. He's still clearly very involved in a, a lot of information for the players and a lot of tactical nuance because this is a team now that has a philosophy and has an identity and that we know is going to perform in a certain way when we go to Carrow Road. And I think the fans have seen that as well. And that's why they feel so positive at the moment. And it feels like it will be able to withstand tests as well. It doesn't feel like it's all going to fall apart if they lose 1-0 at Huddersfield or whatever. Because at some point, I, think, you know, I don't think any of us think Norwich are going to go unbeaten this season. And at some point they will face a test. And I think we saw in the whole game when they went 1-0 down and continually throughout the season so far, that the fans probably will go with them when things start to turn bad. And although it won't be tolerated over a long period of time, I think this is an atmosphere that now, as opposed to the incredibly fragile feeling there was at Carrow Road a lot of the time last season, even when things were going well, I think now there's hopefully a long-term positive mood that you can feel within Carrow Road. And it is just a really nice place to be, probably for the first time, in three or four years and it's the volume has turned up a notch for the first time in that period of time so yes it's uh it's a good place to be you could definitely feel it today and i'm i'm sure the players are benefiting from that as well it's it's even like uh on the smaller end of the scale in terms of carrow road I, I could probably count on one hand the amount of new chance that i heard for players throughout the entirety of last season we've probably had five or six already and uh, i think that's that's usually a, a, a not maybe a, a, an indicator of any value but certainly to to kind of gauge the feeling around how supporters are feeling about the the team at the moment and it's it's definitely positive and we're seeing that obviously with the, the the waves that they're participating in at the end i think it's nice that that's as a collective it's not just David Wagner leading that or a player leading that. Um, it's it's quite nice that you've got that collective front to it. Um, w- should we address the Darren Eady in the, in, in the, in the room and various things? I mean, we, we did make a call out. This won't really work if you're on audio, so I'll do my best to describe. But um, it, we put a call out towards the end of the last podcast for uh, Norwich City memorabilia that perhaps people wouldn't mind us using for a little bit of a backdrop. Because, I mean, as you can kind of see, we've still got relative... What do you call these? Like just boards aren't they but I don't know boards of promotional boards promotional boards of uh, there's a nice one on Norfolk geography and on the history of the Eastern Daily Press and all that stuff we wanted to give it a bit more of a Norwich City flavour I mean we've managed to find one of uh, if you've ever been to I don't know a fun fair or um, like a place for for kids you know those those type of boards that you put your heads through um and take pictures of we've managed to find one of those with uh pink and branding on it from uh, a couple of years ago i think it's uh Tempuki and adamida but they've got no faces and obviously maybe we'll get uh, a couple of guys to stick their faces through that at various points this season and then uh more pertinently to to my left uh, as i as i look i have to thank our listener katie for donate very kindly donating this uh, life size i'm told um cardboard cutout and it's not cardboard either it's like really thick wood of uh darren Eady modeling the uh 1997 to 99 norwich city home kit which is the one with the controversial yellow shorts um you might remember i think it was mylene class wasn't it she was involved in the unveiling of of that at uh at Gerald's, I want to say, but maybe it wasn't Gerald's. I'm sure someone will correct me. But uh, yeah, this is uh, Darren Eady, late 90s, looking resplendent. I'm actually told this is one that they used in the club shop to promote the kit at the time. Uh, and I think Katie or Katie's family won, won it or auctioned it or something. Um, and uh, yeah, he is now going to be part of our podcast. So I'm sure Darren Eady will be absolutely delighted at, 
at that. He's been, he's been living in my house for the last week and absolutely terrifying everyone in it. Whenever I walked into my living room, my dog's had a little nibble of his shorts. Um, but yeah, now he, is, now he is here. So if you've got any more useless Norititi uh, memorabilia, maybe it's taking up some room in your house or you just want rid of it, then uh, do get in contact. We will take it and we can add it to this, this background. I think I've got a Van Walswinkle 9 shirt somewhere that's, that's going to go up at some stage. So that's the kind of thing that, that we're after. Obviously, if it's very valuable and very meaningful, don't give it to us is, is, is the way to do it. Um, so there we go. Paddy, you're, you're liking Darren Eady lurking over your shoulder? Well, Darren Eady, the real Darren Eady, he's an absolute legend. So, um, yeah, if I was going to be anywhere in the vicinity of a sofa with a Norwich personality, he'd be pretty near the top of the list, mate, yeah. There you go, high praise. Maybe maybe we can get like a full 11 going of cardboard cutouts. I don't know if anyone else owns an OCT car, cardboard cutout. But yes, thank you very much to, to Katie and her very kind granddad who I picked that up off uh, a couple of weeks ago. We, we appreciate it. So uh, that's the Darren Eady in the room addressed. Um, let's let's talk about a bit more about this, this Norwich team then because as much as we talk about the feeling, as I mentioned, there is substance behind it. And what we saw today against the Millwall side who just lost out of the top six uh, on the final day of last season, David Wagner said, pre-match he felt they would be a top 10 team irrespective maybe of their fans views of both Gary Rauer and the style of football they're employing this was a major test and you look at that 90 minute spell Paddy Norwich looked more physical quicker hungrier and probably possessing in in more quality both individually but more pertinently as a collective throughout it And, and that maybe typifies what we're seeing with Norwich at the moment it's, I'm probably limiting this to the starting eleven, and the debate we'll have later on will we'll maybe explain why that is the case. But as, an, as a collective, the way they're functioning at the moment is so slick and so effective. David Wagner mentioned the counter-pressing um, post-match, but w- w- what occurred to me is it's so adaptable. You look at last week, Southampton, they had to play in transition, they could play in transition. Today, they were faced with a low block. They said, fine, we'll, we'll use the space in the wide areas, we'll create overlaps, we'll use decoy runs, we'll count the press really well and, and we'll break you down over 90 minutes because we believe we've got quality in attacking areas. Ashley Barnes after the game said, at the moment it feels, or he believes, that every time they step out on the pitch that they're capable of of winning. That kind of encapsulates it, doesn't it? It's a really multifaceted side that they've got, a really fluid, adaptable side to situation and opponent at the moment. Yeah, which is a testament um, for me to Wagner, Pelach now coming in, his influence in the coaching team, but the coaching staff generally. Um, that they've, again, as Sam pointed out, you know, over the space really of only a pre season, tactically, um, technically, you know, the work that they've put into these players before you even get into the fitness element and the double and triple sessions. And boy, is that paying off again, you know, in terms of the look at the last 10, 15 minutes of all of these games. Um, Maybe not as marked today as Hull or QPR, but nevertheless, you know, the fitness element, the the, the tactical, the technical element. And then they've obviously, recruitment-wise, you know, there's no doubt as it stands, Jack Stacey looks an excellent addition. Duffy, Barnes, um, and, you know, Fisher may go on to prove an excellent signing as well when he comes through properly but uh, it's I mean it is worth noting yes it, they've won the game comfortably today but Johnny Rowe's goal 25 minutes in the first 20 minutes Millwall looked very very competitive and Norwich were not having it all their own way if anything you were a little bit concerned that would they struggle to break them down and those questions that you know they were being posed they didn't really feel to me watching that first 20 minutes that they necessarily had the answers but in terms of slipping gears, that's that's what this group can do, and um, the ma- majestic team goal capped by Johnny Rose 
unbelievable finish now. Now I've seen it back on the telly. The way, you know, not only does he cut inside, but in one motion, it's like he just puts his foot through it as if he's just, it's just his next stride pattern. Um, real high-tariff high manoeuvre, and, and that underlines the, the soaring confidence that lad is feeling at the minute in an Norwich shirt on a pitch. But they didn't have it all around. And that, in a roundabout way, is even more impressive that it wasn't a, a flat-track bully type of, from minute one, um, Millwall came in, withdrew into themselves at Gower Road and were not able to really offer any threat. That's how it ended up, albeit they had a little flurry at the end and they got a consolation goal. But, you know, the first 20, 20, 25 minutes were hard going. Norwich had to really think about it, deconstruct it, and then when they did... You know, that period from Johnny Rowe's goal to, to Ashley Barnes's goal, you know, around about the hour mark, um, they were scintillating, you know, scoring goals, looking like they could score at will. Um, and I guess that all hints to the work that's gone on since the end of last season, both in terms of the transfer window, in terms of the pre-season and what, what, what was key to Wagner and his coaching staff, the the, the, the philosophical almost work that, that he was trying to, um, you know, get these players to take on board without, you know, the pressure of having to sort of relentlessly try and pick up results in the championship and, and scrapping for points to try and revive a fading playoff hopes. Freed from that headspace, they've they've clearly been able to put in the structural work they needed. And again, you know, we're going to get a bit sick and tired of saying it. It's so early days that, you know, the championship could easily come back to six weeks from now and we're, we're talking about, well, it's got, it's got a bit harder and Norwich need to pick up the pace again because they're losing track or they're losing touch with the clubs at the top of the table. So, you know, everything we're discussing at the moment, for me, we have to filter it through. It's such a small sample. You mean you can't win the league after three games? Not unless you're Real Madrid. No, <laughs> apparently. Slash Ipswich Town. But, um, so, you know, experience tells you, let's see where we are in a month's time, in two months' time. But... There is compelling evidence growing now. And, and again, just to bring it right back to today, in that first 20, 25 minutes where they didn't have it their own way, they were able to come through that and and then go on to prove that, as the final scoreline did, did, did underline, that they were so much better than Millwall in every facet, both with and without the ball. And, um, and that's not to be dismissed, despite clearly there's a, a groundswell amongst Millwall fans who are not having Gary Rowett anymore and they made it very clear they're not having him anymore. But this is a team or a squad or a club who, in, in not all that many games previous, were taking the uh, playoff battle to the final game of last season, having finished top 10 again for two consecutive seasons. They are, in championship terms, a very good benchmark, I think, whatever their ongoing struggles at the moment, it would feel. And for Norwich to be so much better than them, again, you leave that thinking, OK, yep, Wagner is onto something here. And, and you just hope now that with a fair wind... They can they can develop um, some very positive trends, and then we'll see where that takes them. Yeah, and and, and last season I remember there'd be teams that came to Carrow Road, and you think, oh, they're, they're not to be disrespectful, but maybe you wouldn't. I'm trying to word this correctly, but you, you wouldn't look at them as maybe a team that were challenging for the top six or uh, the top two, and, and and they would they would come and they'd look pretty ordinary. But they'd leave a point, sometimes even three points. And now we're talking about um, Norwich City beating them. As you say, very early days. And it's been an impressive opening chapter 
imperfect as well and we'll come on to, to some of the imperfections that we've that we've seen but Sam I mean you, you mentioned the recruitment strategy it's, re- it's really interesting because there has been a big focus on mentality and experience you've heard it from David Wagner from Stuart Webber even from maybe within the camp amongst amongst some of the players and um, you know a, a lot of fans and probably probably us guys as well initial reaction to Ashley Barnes you know when Ashley Barnes's name got mentioned for the first time I remember me and Paddy looking at each other and puffing our cheeks out and Shane Duffy probably likewise for 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 a lot of people but what you're seeing is yes they're injecting what you need in terms of mentality but actually those players have real quality and and it's not a surprise because both have played a lot of the last five or six years of their career in the Premier League and in good teams in the Premier League. Shane Duffy in a Brighton side that has obviously progressed year on year on year on year. Burnley, who had a really prolonged spell in the Premier League, and Ashley Barnes was at the heart of that. So it's not a surprise that these players are are doing as well as they are. Um, uh, But I think it's important that for all of the the talk will be on the intangibles that they've added, they've also added real quality. And I, I mean, Paddy mentioned the row goal. And this maybe leans into the adaptable point, but they, this is a Norwich team capable of scoring different goals as well. The first goal, which was real quality in terms of combination play, then they go and score a set piece, and then they go and score not indirectly from across. You've got players like Ashley Barnes, who I mentioned, who can take the ball in and, and play it to John Rowe, but, but equally he's happy to back into someone and, and win a free kick. He's happy to leave a flailing elbow if, if a flailing elbow needs to, be, needs to be there. So he can do that side, but I also think maybe there's there's not a disservice but i think you, it's easy to overlook the quality that that those two players in particular have brought to the Norwich side yeah i agree with you i remember uh, speaking to elliot bennett when both of those players were signed and he's played with both of them and i asked him about barnes and he said yeah everyone's talking about the experience and the physicality and his sort of what what he's known for basically um his reputation but technically he's really really good i remember interviewing him and Half thinking, yeah, but nobody's going to say that their former teammate is pretty poor technically. Um, But it turns out he was absolutely spot on. And I think Barnes's technical ability is something that really gets lost amongst the cliches of, as we've spoken about, you know, experience and know-how and, you know, all these these words that are used to describe players like Barnes and I think you can understand it. He spent, what, 10 years at Burnley, he's 33. Um, he's probably at the stage of his career where you do need to start using those a little bit more than maybe you might have used pace or the technical ability previously. But I think in the absence of a traditional sort of number 10, they haven't got that Buendia or that Houlihan Madison to find the way through. I think Barnes has actually really stepped up as a sort of creative player. And when Norwich signed him, I certainly wasn't ever expecting to utter that sentence. But with Sargent seemingly the goal scorer of the two, I think he probably suits that slightly further forward role a bit more than Barnes. Um, I think he's been really good at dropping in, creating space for Sargent in behind him and linking the play really well. So often you see him take the ball in and find... Stacey out wide that's such a a common thing for this Norwich side and I think he has been really key in the way that they get the ball forward because you know you can have somebody up there who wins headers and who battles or whatever but in order to get the ball into those areas and keep it there you need somebody whose first touch is really good and Sargent isn't that person so as much as he did impress at times last season in a number nine role I think he looks even better 
as part of a, a front two and Barnes has really helped him um, in that role. And then to look at Duffy, I think it's, it has shown the fact that he didn't play a lot of games for probably the last two years. I think it took him a few to really get up to the speed of things and to get into a rhythm. He obviously made mistakes in the first two or three games that he played for Norwich in a competitive scenario. But I've actually been really impressed with him the last two games. I thought against QPR especially he was really good and helped out Andrew and Bamadele when he was really, really struggling. And then today I think it was a shame that he got out-jumped before that Millwall goal because up until then he'd had a near-perfect performance. Him and Gibson... Um, structurally were really really good and then there was one time um in the first half I think the the ball fell to Nisbet and that should have been 1-1 really but both of them made excellent blocks to deny him and I think that quality is something that Duffy sorry that Norwich really lacked and that Duffy has brought because so often now Norwich will concede a corner it was they they conceded a corner at 3-1 with about 5 minutes left um, today and it could have been a real high pressure situation but it comes in Duffy just clears it and we're so used to seeing that now how often does he get his head to to set pieces for for opposition and also for Norwich and maybe he needs to improve his finishing a little bit but in both boxes he's certainly added something that Norwich needed it's not only about the experience and the know-how and the intangibles but physically that's been something that Stuart Webb has been near on obsessed with for a number of years and I think although they've made a few attempts at trying to address that it probably took all the way up until Gabriel Sara for them to actually find the sort of players that were adding that and you look at this Norwich side now led by the likes of Duffy and Barnes and physically they look really really strong and really good so I think they've added that aspect without losing the technical ability. In fact, they've probably they probably look like a technically better side than they did last season, despite the fact that they've now lost Cantwell and Dowell and Pookie, all the players that this time a year ago you would have been highlighting as the players that provide that sort of thing. So you've got to give credit to Wagner for putting it all together because it is quite a strange mix, to be honest. This 11 on paper probably shouldn't be producing the sort of football that it is, but he's found a way of doing that, of getting the best out of players who are, you know, Duffy's age and Barnes' age, and they've achieved enough that they could have come to Norwich and rested on their laurels and played the way that they always have. But he's clearly found a way to to get the best out of them in their current scenario. So I think a lot of credit has to go to him, but also to them for bringing the quality. And it's it's easy to look at big names a lot of the time. And I think in the sort of Farker era, we got used to maybe even looking down on clubs who bring in these players with reputation because Norwich were able to pick players that we'd never heard of out of the German second division, it felt like you didn't need to do that. But I think this has been a reminder that some players do have big reputations and big names for a reason, and they have brought some real quality. So, yeah, I think overall, Duffy and Barnes especially, but then you look at Stacey and the rest of the transfer business they've they've done. And credit to Stuart Webber, it's the first really good transfer window, I think, based on the early evidence. It's the first really good transfer window they've had in a long while. And, um, yeah, they've brought a lot, not just experience and nous and, and intangibles to the dressing room. On the pitch, they've really brought a lot. Yeah, for all the all the chest beating and uh, and whatnot, there, there's been really real substance behind their performances, which is which has been uh, which has been good to see. And I, I guess finally for the, the, the first part of the, the pod, Pad, I wanted to speak about 
the attacking element. But Barnes scored his hundredth goal in hundredth league goal in five hundred league appearances today, which was nice for him. Which I, I put to him after the game, and it's kind of a yeah, it was all right, wasn't it? Sort of a bit like that uh, in a much in a much better accent than, than me. Um, so you you've got that element, and you know I spoke earlier about how the team are adaptable, but actually you've got a real varied attack at the moment because you've got two strikers who are pretty capable you know for balls put in the box and it's hung in the air they'll go and head it and so will John Rowe apparently who knew um but also they, they've got the excitement of of John Rowe and what he adds from a technical element you've got Christian Fashnack who I think will score goals and has been quite quietly impressive actually I think in in the last couple of games then you've got Gabby Sarah and his brilliance in behind there are lots of strands to that attack but also different ways of scoring goals and I mentioned earlier the different type of goals that they scored today it's not like it was under you know under Daniel Farker and maybe maybe it's comparable to what they did under under Paul Lambert and I, there's probably loads of eras before that as well and I'm not comparing the teams but I'm comparing more the variation of their attacking flavour if, if you ask now how a Norwich City going to score a goal well they can score a goal for a set piece they can score a goal from a cross they can score a goal by carving a team open as they did for the first get for the first goal they can score a goal in transition all of this is really healthy, particularly, as you said, to kind of wrap this debate nicely where they were at the end of last season when the answer was, I haven't got a clue. Um, and as you're reeling all those elements off in terms of the attacking mix, I think there's a big one we need to add to that as well, and that is the fullbacks. You know, mm. Yanulis and Stacey are making this team tick going forward now. Demi Yanulis, while one would still have reservations defensively, I think he's been excellent this season so far. So... He seems to have added a physicality and an aggressiveness to his defending and and to his front foot attacking play as well. And we saw it again today, very unlucky not to score. There was that one that move that he sparked in the second half, shoveled it onto Josh Sargent at the perfect time. He's veered round two, shots come back off the keeper. Who's there? Demi Yanoulis. And it was only a last-ditch deflection that, over the bar that foiled him from opening his count for the season. Um, Stacey, again, he was obviously... Critical to the third goal today, you know that uh, overlapping run, Zara little touch from Fashnak, who I agree was excellent again today in an understated way. But intelligent player knows where to be on the pitch, can pick up the right pockets of space, and um, he looks like a good addition as well. Um, but but a Stacey cross, and then it leads to Barnes's goal. So you know, I think they they are the are the keys actually to to how how you have that interchangeability where you have you might look at anything. Well, Sergeant and Barnes, a little bit one-dimensional, two big, powerful forwards. Do you need to play a certain type of way? Does the service need to be of a certain type to get the best out of them? Zara, where does he fit into that mix? Because he's such an intelligent footballer, such a technically gifted um, footballer. The goals, the assists that he could produce in this team, uh, licking your lips territory. But I think what what's bringing that, it's almost like the ingredients and, and what, what makes it such a... Uh, an appetising mix at the minute is that you've got two wide players offering that width and that ability to stretch the play uh, and inject the speed on transition and turnovers which less so today but certainly a Southampton type of game where you're playing a, a really seriously good team in possession in this league probably one is going to be up, up there with you in the conversation for promotion that they can flick that switch and we saw it you know it was Stacey for the first goal at Southampton wasn't it which 
if you, if you look at that move, it was Barnes with his back to goal, brilliant touch, and then a layoff as well. Again, to highlight Sam's point about his technical ability, he does have that in his locker. But also then it was Zara's tremendous goal on the south coast. But where did that come from? It came from a very aggressive attacking burst from Dimi Yanoulis. And that's just a two off the top of my head. I'm sure you could go right back to the start of the season, even earlier in terms of pre-season. And, and you can see the impact that Stacey on one side and Yanoulis on the other bringing to a David Wagner template. And if you go back to that team he built at Huddersfield, it was wide areas. That's where they were very strong that season. They came out of the Championship and then stayed in the Premier League the following season. Wide areas, width, pace. Um, and you could you could uh, entirely understand why he's gone back to basics almost in terms of what he's trying to do with this Norwich collective because he got success doing it with that way at Huddersfield. And as I say, for me... In terms of that variety in the attacking areas, I think that variety basically is underpinned by two wide, two wide, aggressively attack-minded fullbacks who are really lifting what might be quite a functional, stodgy kind of painting by numbers style way of how they progress the ball to the opposition penalty area and how they're trying to score goals with those two and their natural inclinations to to get forward and get on the front foot. It's just lifting the whole attacking template for me. Yeah, and it's, it's pushing Rowe and Fashnacht into more central positions yeah. as well where they can go and join the hunt for goals, which is... Uh which has been which has been good. Um, that probably wraps up part one. We'll come back for part two, and then we'll we'll talk a bit more, maybe about the con- not concerns. That's probably a bit strong, but uh, to quote David Wagner, the the hairs in the soup, so to speak. Part two of the pod, we've uh, we've dipped into the subs bench of our own Adam Harvey has uh, replaced Paddy Dallet, who's uh, owing to print deadlines and various stuff that I won't go into, has gone to, to finish a few things off. So unlike Norwich City, we're hoping this won't have a, a, a negative impact on performance. I'm sure it won't, Adam. I'm sure you'll do a do a grand job. But that's that's a, a nice segue into a conversation about maybe what we've what we've seen. And like we say, it's a really small sample size to be picking any kind of trends out of positive or, or negative. Um but I, I, I felt there was, particularly the last 15 minutes, I, w- I wouldn't say it was like particularly poor, but it, 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 there was definitely a dip. And I think we saw a dip as well against Hull in, in the periods where Norwich started to change elements of their starting eleven, And maybe it was overshadowed a bit by obviously the, the euphoria of Adam Eder's late win. I think we saw it at Southampton as well, where they got far too deep, far too quick. And actually that, that almost cost them the game pretty late on. Um, but also before that, before Fashnak's goal, it, it, it nearly cost them as well. Didn't, crucially, but nearly did. And, and it's a theme across three matches now that when they have dipped into their reserves and into their subs bench, there has maybe been a noticeable decline of their quality, which for the reasons that we said, Wagner's system is very specific. It requires very specific players. Some players coming in as well haven't uh, necessarily had the minutes that they would have needed over pre-season compared to the ones who are playing at the moment. It's very hard for any player to be dropped into a game and impact it. There, there's loads of reasons as to why, but it is a, a thing that we're, that we're witnessing. So, Sam, I mean, if you, if you were to look at maybe the, uh, I said earlier, impressive but imperfect, if you were to look at one of the imperfections, does it raise a bigger question about the squad depth from, from here? It's a 46-game season. We all know that what the championship is is like, the bumps in the road, you're going to get injuries at some points, your squad is going to be affected. Um, is it, again, I, I feel bad using the word concern because that feels like a massive negative, but is it, maybe a worry is better, is it a worry that, 
we're seeing these dips in performances when Norwich are altering what what has been a pretty settled eleven over the, the first three games. Yeah, I think it is a little bit, and we probably do have to add the caveats that Norwich were three 0 up and pretty much home and hosed. Millwall hadn't shown any signs of a comeback at all. Um, even when that goal went in, I don't think there was anybody especially um, concerned or worried about whether Millwall would come back into the game. But we do have to look at the fact that Tony Springett was the first man off the subs bench and as much of a talent he looks like he could be in future, he did spend last season or the second half of last season in and out of the team at League One Derby and this is a team that's trying to compete for championship promotion. So I think there is definitely some concern and the fact that I know we've seen it as a positive that Wagner and Norwich have been able to identify their best eleven so early on and that was definitely a concern last season. I still don't think Dean Smith could tell you what his best Norwich City team was at any point but maybe the fact that it's so quickly become clear what the best eleven is is a little bit of a concern and we probably do have to add the another caveat that science is going to be back soon Sorensen as well I would expect to at least compete for a midfield place if McLean or Sarah um, end up being injured Marcelino Nunez is clearly a very talented player who Norwich probably still have some work to do to unlock the best from so there are players that you feel could come in and impact things at championship level but the way that the first team and the first choice players are performing at the moment does feel quite significantly different to what the backup players have done so far. You look at that first half against QPR and it was it was pretty dull and it wasn't just a poor performance. The style of play looked completely different. It didn't look like the same team that could just play through the press and could excite fans like what we've seen uh, in the Championship so far this season. So for me, it definitely is a concern and it probably does expose some weaknesses when you look look at rebuilding a team um, as much as it's impressive and I spoke about how good it is that Wagner's managed to completely revamp the squad with six signings. It probably does show when most of them are starting and you haven't really done much to, to the bench. I think the number of youth players on the bench as well and not just youth players that have shown signs that they can step into a first-team environment but more players that have done okay for the under-21s and are being given a chance to experience a matchday squad. You don't want too many of those players on the bench and there have been quite a few already so far this season. So um, hopefully some of those fringe players can step up. We know Shemislav Poeta is somebody who Wagner sees a big future for and has talked about the the ability of him to play in that system. So there are some players that I think could step up a level and could compete for places in the first eleven. But just from the evidence we've seen so far, it has to be a concern. It was a concern for me beforehand and today I think it's more tangibly shown that there is that big gap. But um, you know, Wagner's shown that he's a good coach and hopefully he can improve some of these players and they can get slightly closer to that eleven. Um but yeah, right now it is a worry. Worry is probably a good word to use, yeah.
Yeah, and I, I guess the counter for that, Adam, is as 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 uh, Sam says, they've got Borja signs to, to drop into this. On El Hernandez was was obviously missing today with uh, what looks like a nasty hand uh, injury. Um, Jakob Sorensen, Grant Hanley, who'd be in and around it. So you, you begin to maybe look at uh, dropping those players into into even the match day squad, and it starts to look significantly better. So where are you on the on the squad depth point and this maybe um, dip in performance that we're seeing late on within games? Yeah, I'm more intrigued at kind of the nature of the substitutions he's bringing in. They're not sort of like-for-like substitutions at certain points. I mean, today he took... Um, I think Inoulis got pushed forward to sort of almost a winger position at one point, which... Is intriguing because that's you know if you saw that as a starting eleven, you'd, you'd sort of have big alarm bells that that's a starting eleven. So I'm intrigued that that's the way he's he sort of playing it. But as we've already alluded to there, and as Sam spoke about that, the depth of players that are still to, to sort of be dropped into this team. You know, there's going to be players that are currently on the bench that won't be in a match day squad, and and they're all very good players at, at this level. I mean, some of those players on the bench today definitely make half the teams in the championship starting eleven. So. I don't necessarily, you know, think there's a lack of depth. I just think maybe the the nature of the substitutions at times are are more intriguing than anything. But like today, I think three uh, 0 Norwich are cruising a little bit, and there is that tendency that you you could switch off. Um, and those sort of little moments where maybe players are being thrown in off the bench and they're not fully sort of up to speed with the game. And I think because the game's maybe changed from what it was in the first half, where Norwich were relentless, you know, lots of the ball. The second half, you know, Mill have obviously got got it in them to try and try and push for. Pushing trying to get themselves back in the game, even though it all looked done. But uh, yeah, I don't necessarily think it's squad depth. I just think the substitution, the nature of them, that, that maybe intrigues me a little bit more, and why David Wagner's going down that route. Yeah, and, and as I said, that system is so specific that you drop the player into the wrong one, and it kind of not it doesn't break the whole thing, but it makes the whole thing maybe a lot more ineffective than perhaps it was if you have the right players in in the right in the right slots. And equally, we know Norwich can't carry twenty players all designed for for one system because financially that that wouldn't make sense. So it is something that they're they're going to have to manage, and we will obviously see how it develops as the season unfolds. But it's something that that's worth highlighting. I think at, at this early juncture, as is the form of of John Rowe, Sam four goals in in four games quite remarkable really but again similarly to Norwich we talk about maybe the output and the results that we're seeing at the moment he's very similar scoring goals but actually it's his all-round game that's that's really impressing as well he's he's, he's a young lad who, who really seems desperate to take the the opportunity that, that he's been given yeah and it's very exciting to see it's almost like now I don't know what we'd do if we went to a Norwich game and there wasn't a Jonathan Rowe goal I don't think he's Played a game since he made his professional debut without without or professional first professional start without scoring. So um, yeah, it is really exciting to see a player like this emerging. And not only is it good in the short term for Norwich in terms of finding these results and finding goals at important times in games, we have to remember, and I'm sure people don't want to contemplate the idea of selling Rowe already, but this is a financial system that requires these sorts of players to come through and and become saleable assets and every time you worry that Norwich might have dried up there seems to be another another couple of players come through and if he does continue this form um well or at least some sort of version of this form I don't think he's he's quite at the sort of Erling Haaland level yet and can be relied upon to score every game for the rest of the season but if he can continue to be a key player for Norwich throughout the season and they continue to impress 
as much as they have, then no doubt at some stage he's going to be that next one that's linked with the Liverpools and the Man Cities, maybe even the Bayern Munichs and Barcelonas and could could earn the club 20, 25 million if he continues to um to perform in this fashion. But right now, it is just very exciting and a little bit of a relief for Norwich, to be honest, because they needed somebody to come through. And I think I spoke about it a little bit last week, but you were looking at it this season and there were a lot of players that you felt had the potential to come through. Science is obviously an exciting one. Fastnax, Rowe, um, even Jolis and Rashica when they were still at the club and they all had shown talent, but were all unknown quantities. And you were looking at these players and just thinking that somebody has to step up and somebody has to to take that mantle on after, obviously, Puki and Dow left and a lot of goal contributions went out the door this summer. So Norwich really needed somebody to fill that gap and for him to step up is a massive relief, I think, and David Wagner will feel quite thankful to Rowe, I think, privately, that he's done that for him because there were a lot of times last season under Smith and Wagner when Norwich looked very sterile and he completely changes that. He's very dynamic, very exciting and... It's so encouraging to see him producing that end product because I did have fears at the start of the season and I spoke about this after that whole game when he really burst onto the scene that he was just that exciting young player that comes on for the last 10 minutes, has a run at defenders and that's what's exciting for fans. But that's not what he's done. He's uh, he's produced at the end of those runs now and he's he's put the ball in the net four times in four games. He's even improved his heading ability. Um, so it is really exciting to see him come through uh, I'm excited to see what he can achieve uh, but for now I think Wagner would probably be keen for us to say let's not talk him talk him up too much or big him up too much let's think back to maybe the early early years of Todd Campwell and how he performed in a Norwich shirt in the Premier League and it doesn't always work out long term so p- still plenty of work for him to do he's only 20 years years old and I'm sure his own ambitions aren't just to perform in the championship so if he wants to get to the levels that he can and that he probably wants to still plenty of work to be done but it looks like he's under the right head coach he's in the right system and right now he's got the confidence to do it so um yeah long may it continue yeah and it's only a good run of form at the moment even though he's a, a young player very bright future and someone who's very highly thought of and has been very highly thought of for a, for a long period of time this is uh, the sample size is so small it's going to be interesting and you know I was thinking as you were speaking there how interesting it would have been if Borja Sainz would have remained fit maybe Jonathan Rowe is still sat here without a a first start so it's funny how football works and it can work negatively as well in in that same sense as quickly so um, particularly with young players so I think there does need to be a degree of um, pragmatism maybe around what we're seeing at the moment but I just really like the the purity of seeing this 20-year-old winger. Just feels like he's expressing himself and he's he's being himself pretty unapologetically at the moment and playing with real personality and I think in a system that is pretty much geared to knock that out of every single professional footballer that comes through the system. It's it's really nice to see and I think that's why fans have taken to him as well. So it's going to be really interesting to see how he does under different conditions when there are wing wing competition and um, we go deeper into the championship season and teams start to do what Millwall have started, started to do to him which is leave a mark on him pretty early and try and nullify him and, and use the dark arts of the game to do so. So uh, yeah, really interesting but it's hard not to, to be full of praise for, for John Rowe but he needs to prove that this is something more substantial than, than just a good run of form which I think of the early evidence he certainly has the quality to do. It's about consistency now. And then the, the one player I wanted to, to come to you on Adam purely because it feels like we, we haven't really spoken 
talking about him, I don't think. Uh, we might have done after the whole one. Gabriel Sara. Um, it's just just ridiculously good, isn't he? Um, turn off. If you're a Premier League scout, he's, he's rubbish. Um, and hopefully they're all gone. But the fact that you've, you've got someone there. I mean, is, is it too soon to say he is indispensable to Norwich City at this point we've obviously got a situation where there's a, a transfer window still open uh, we know how fans minds work it'll be oh what if what if what if um, and, and you know the, I think Stuart Weber spoke earlier in the summer that there was big interest in, in Gabriel Sara. hard to quantify exactly what that means when you when you're not involved in that situation um, so it's not it's not just you know paranoia for the sake of paranoia there's been told that there have been clubs monitoring and, and quite frankly of course there would be but this possibility of him leaving before the end of the window, I personally don't think he will. But um, we know how things change in, 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 in football. It, and Norwich City now at a stage where their prospects this season and what they hope to achieve mean that he has to remain at the football club. Has he become indispensable for David Wagner in Norwich City? Yeah, I think he's probably the one player on the team sheet who every single week he's fit. He's the first player that David Wagner will be putting in, you know, on, the, on his uh, so team team board tactic board uh, up at up at Colney and he's so crucial. I mean, I was, I was speaking to one of my friends the other day and I said he's almost like Madison Buendia where you looked at them and you thought he's going right to the top. You know, almost on a different level to maybe the Campwells or the Jamal Lewis's or you know of the world, which you thought very good players, probably better than Norwich City at the time. But I think Sarah, yeah, I'd be very shocked if he's not playing. You know, the top of the Premier League at some point in his career. You know, still still relatively young and. I think if you're Stuart Webber and you're Norwich City and you can afford to keep hold of him, which you know all the signals would suggest they can, and I think he's happy in Norwich. He's of course only been here now one year. He's very settled. You know, got his dogs got over. His dogs, yeah. yeah. So I think that's that's all playing in, and you just I think you know if you, if you're in the Norwich City hierarchy, you're not going to lose value on Gabriel Sara this season. I think you're actually going to gain value if the end of the season Norwich City you know are promoted and he becomes a Premier League footballer, or even if they don't, and he's got you know double figures in goals and assist contributions. He's going to be worth probably even more than what they'd get for him now. I think now there's probably sort of a hype around him in the early start to the season and maybe clubs will get desperate late in the transfer window and look at him and think, you know, he's a real talent. He could be useful for us. But I think in the long term for Norwich and what their aspirations and hopes are this season, it's crucial they keep hold of him. I mean, what, what he can do from with a football is, is quite it's quite extraordinary. I mean, one of the passes he picked out today for Fashnak, I just sat there and thought, that is, you know, Almost hard to hard to judge it, but that's kind of the Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard s kind of passes where you just you think what a sensational pass that was, and, and he's got it in the locker, um, and it's consistent, which I think that's probably the one thing you maybe look at someone like Marcelino Nunez, unbelievable football, and is a really good player in there. But the one problem he's got is he's not very consistent. He'll have one really really good game, and then he'll almost go missing for another game. Where I really can't remember a, a game where Gabriel Sara has been poor. Well, even really probably since sort of when he first came to the club, and that was under Dean Smith, and there was all the sort of permutations, I suppose, around the fact you know he didn't have his dogs. He was still trying to settle into into Norwich City, so I think you can almost, you know let him have that. But yeah, he if Norwich are going to get to the Premier League, he's the one man they've got to keep hold of because without him, uh, you look at the other options that they have. You know, I think Liam Gibbs is a great player, but he's still very raw, still a young, a young man. Jakob Sorensen, of course, injury issues, and he's not the same mould or type of player as Gabriel Sarra. And obviously, I've already spoke about Marcelino Nunez and, and maybe just trying to get that consistency in his game. I think if you lose Sarra, yeah, I think you can probably give up on any hopes of certainly top two, but I think even top six, you'd be, um, yeah, you'd be looking at 
at that and thinking maybe not almost what Coventry have with Gustavo Ahama I think you know he's such a crucial cog and he was the reason why he made the top six last year because he was so consistent such a talent and obviously of course he's now made the Premier League move so I think Gabriel Sarra will be the next one in the sort of I suppose conveyor belt that would be a Premier League player if Norwich don't go up Can I just say I think that is a great point about the the fact that he'll grow in value I think when we see it from a Norwich perspective we almost see if somebody put 20 million on the table now we see it as like oh Norwich couldn't turn that down but I think Adam makes a great point in that you it's close to a guarantee that he adds 5 million to his value this season so it's not a situation where maybe as it was with Campwell at times with his contractual situation or with other players that they actually thought they were getting pretty good deals with I don't think it's going to be a situation where this summer they get an offer they can't refuse because I think they'll know that even if it comes to a year and they haven't been promoted and they have to let go of him, that they will at least retain that value and almost definitely increase it. So I think that's probably in Norwich's favour and probably hopefully eases fans' worries with 12 days left of the... I think it's 12 days, is it? 2nd of September? 12 days left of the transfer window. Hopefully that... I think that's a reason to be optimistic that he'll be in the building at the end of that. I think the biggest compliment to him is Norwich have played three championship games and he's been the player with the highest amount of quality, not necessarily the best player on the day, but the player with the, the highest quality of any team that Norwich have played so far. He's He's been pretty good. I'm selling him short by saying pretty good, but we'll, we'll let other people eulogise about him. Some some footballer, and as you say, only going to get better as the season goes, not even fully fully fit yet, which is which is, uh, which is is quite remarkable. And, and, and yeah... Um, and that maybe lends into a debate about the the transfer window, Adam, because it, there, there probably comes a point, as Sam said, there's not long left now. There obviously will still be some situations that Norwich are, are aware of and monitoring, mostly from an outgoing perspective, probably mostly around Andrew Omebamadeli, who, uh, again, didn't start. And he seems it's interesting that David Wagner seems to be preferring the, the right-foot-left-foot combo of Ben Gibson and Shane Duffy. And he explained a little bit as to why on Friday and how that helps their build-up and, and whatnot. So in that, by that measure, he's putting Shane Duffy ahead of Andrew Omebamadeli as a, as, a as a right-sided centre-back. He came on um, this afternoon and, again, still looks a bit rough. Rusty to, to me, um, so so that's that's interesting. But there, there must come a point. The likes of Gabriel Sarah, Josh Sargent, who I know has been uh, linked with with Leeds. Norwich won't be selling him to, to Leeds, so you can you can um, knock that one on the head uh, unless they put like fifty million on the table or something. Of course, but they're not going to. Um, there must come a point where Norwich City look at this sort of thing and I don't think there has been an offer for Sarah or Sergeant or, or whatever but there, there would come a point where it would be too late wouldn't it for them to do something Omar situation is quite different because we know they've done a lot of work in advance and have a list of targets ready to go for that moment so if that arrived at 8 o'clock on deadline day they would be in a position to act it's not the case for some players so there must there must come a point if you're Stuart Webber and you're seeing the phone ring and it's certain clubs and they say we're interested in X that you just think that no, we can't do it now because it's too late yeah, if you look at Stuart Webber's track record well, across Huddersfield and Norwich, he's never really done business late in a window. It's always very much, this is what we're going to do. These are the kind of players that are going to go out the door. Of course, he made it very sort of out there in the public eye that you know they would sell Max Aarons this summer and they want to you know would be happy to entertain offers for Andromeda Bamadeli. But yeah, you've obviously spoke about there the interest that there will be in Gabriel Sarra. Norwich will be aware of that. You know, every football club across the world and Europe will know who Gabriel Sarra is at the moment. Has probably got him on their their transfer, you know, targets list uh, somewhere. But yeah, I think it, you know if it comes sort of uh, deadline day and 
and there doesn't become an offer for Gabriel Sarr unless it's like, you know, stupid, stupid money that's like off the Richter that Norwich could not turn down. There's no way that they sell him. And uh, I think, we, yeah, obviously with the situation with Andrew is completely different because Norwich have those three or four targets where they go, right, if, you know, we're happy to accept that £20 million offer from X and we've got these players ready in line, bang, there's the deal and we'll, we'll get it done. So they're not naive. They know they know the situation. They know how it's going to play out. And uh, I'm still fairly confident. I think David Wagner knows this is his squad and, you know, he's very happy with it. He spoke about that at numerous press conferences and post-match after games uh, just recently about how happy he is with the squad and if this is the squad he's got come the 2nd of September then you know he's a happy man going at least as far as January so I don't see you know anyone in the club then you know sort of downplaying that and selling one of his best best assets that maybe gives him the best opportunity to, to get the club back to the promised land and of course hopefully with sort of a, a new energy of a new sporting director the direction could eventually lead Norwich to you know a team that could compete in the Premier League for, for the long term so yeah, but just to answer your question, no, I think if unless there's you know fifty million pound offers for Gabriel Sarah and Josh Sargent, they will be Norwich City players come September. Yep, I I concur. Uh, Tim Krull left this week, of course, going to to Luton, which we've written a lot about and, and spoken a lot about. I think we we mentioned it on on last week's podcast and spoke a bit about Tim, but that was all confirmed. George Long came in. You'll know all of the, all of that now. Um, which is which is interesting, uh, and we'll obviously see how how that develops. It's interesting that they've kind of ch- changed and and uh, shifted some cogs in the in the goalkeeping department, and I'm sure that will be explained as to why that is exactly taken place as well. David Wagner spoke about a bit about Tim Krul. Angus Gunn is the number one. There's a Premier League opportunity made made perfect sense, I think, for for for, for all parties, which is good. Uh, and now we have a trip of three away games on the spin, starting next week at Huddersfield, then that lovely Carabao Cup uh, trip to Bristol City in midweek, but, uh, and then Rotherham, then an international break. You've booked a holiday, so uh, uh, you need to, is this clever planning, or is it just coincidence? You're going to try and claim it's coincidence. Uh, genuinely, I can confirm I could probably go and find the dates on my laptop now. I think I booked this back in about... April pre the fixtures coming out uh, and that week when we've I got saw, no way of verifying no, it, so when, when, I, when, I, when I saw the fixtures come out I saw oh, I'll miss Robin away a little bit gut because I actually really enjoy Robin it's probably one of my favourite away games in the championship so felt that was a little bit of a blow and it was only when uh, the cup draw was on the other week <laughs> oh. that I clocked at Norwich uh, have a midweek game that week and I oh you know, I miss a game there, thinking I'd probably just get like a, a home tie against I don't know, I don't know if Stephen is just still in it, but someone of that ilk. And I thought not the biggest not the biggest uh issue in the world and then see Bristol City away be pulled out. And I was with Sam at uh, the Norwich ladies game against Roxham and uh, the cup draw was taking place and I had the uh slight sort of I suppose Enjoyment of telling him that it was Bristol City away, uh to which he looked at me <laughs> with a face and just sulked to the floor almost. Um <laughs> Knowing that, yeah, I wouldn't have to go. The only downside is that we've got a, well, you know, I don't want to put this out too publicly, but a very nice sort of gaff in, in that area, a hotel that's uh, very nice. And that's where we stayed uh, before the Bristol City game last year. So I will miss out on that. But um, I'm sure when I'm in Bratislava in Slovakia with a beer in my hand, I won't really be uh, too gutted that you boys are heading down south to, to Bristol City. It's a seeded draw. It's remarkable, isn't it, that you can that you can end up with uh, with, with with Bristol City. But but there we go. Uh, it will be it will be good fun, I'm sure, and, and, and you will be missed. Uh, Norwich City's women, Sam, they they recorded their their first win of the season as well against Sudbury. So it's been a, a good day for both Norwich City sides. I think it was a late winner from from Freya Simons. Although I haven't seen too much of of the twos and throws of that because we've been kind of wrapped up in in, in post match stuff. But good good start for for them, isn't it? 
great start for them and uh, looks like they're really going for it this year. We spoke to Martin Herbman, the new um, coach after that Roxham game that Adam referenced, and he spoke really, really well, seems really enthusiastic and looks like he has a lot of ideas and a real depth of philosophy to bring to that team. They've obviously brought in seven new signings, so it's definitely something to um, to keep an eye on. They're at Curra Road. September the 10th. Yeah, that's what I had in my head. So, um, yeah, it's, I would encourage people to go to that. I think they've sold more than 2,000 tickets now, so if they could get that up a little bit as well. That would be would be good. But, yeah, it looks like a very exciting season for them. Finished fourth um, last season. I believe you have to win the league to go up. So there's still a bit of a, a gap for them to bridge. But hashtag United, who are as I'm sure people would expect, sort of taking those lower leagues by storm, have now gone up. So a few things in their favour. Hopefully they'll be able to bridge that gap and they may even push for for promotion this season. So hopefully a a double promotion to speak of for Norwich City by the end of the season. But yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how they get on and obviously we'll have coverage of that across our channels this season as well. So yeah, looking forward to it. Yep, uh, Norwich also released the third kit, which uh, I'm going to use the word funky to describe. Uh, it's very good. It's uh, some lots of people have said it looks a bit, bit like a red cabbage, which is quite quite an apt description. I actually think it's my favourite of the three they've released. Controversially, I would go third home away. I think if anyone disputes that, that, yeah, I'd put away above home. I think that's would you? Uh, yeah, you wearing a hoop top? Look? Yeah, I think uh, yeah. When when I saw that third kit get dropped that was uh giving me like proper festival vibes i thought that's definitely going to be a classic in about 20 years time everyone's going to want the norwich city 23 24 third kit um we'll have, we'll have another cardboard cut we will yeah. we will uh but i think yeah i think when the away shirt dropped that was like, apart from the collar that's the one downside of that shirt which i've spoke about previously in a podcast but the home one is growing on me but um i think still compared to last year it's it's just not on the same level so for that reason yeah i'd still go away over the home kit, home shirt yeah, and uh, sadly the, the Lionesses were beaten in the Women's World Cup final this afternoon, 1-0 defeat to, to Spain, uh, which is obviously a, a real shame, but a wonderful tournament that they've had. Lauren Hemp in particular, I think it's four goal contributions in, in seven games for her. Um, they, she's obviously done Norfolk proud, they've done the country proud. I think there's a, a real uplift in, in the number of people watching women's football. It was kind of a pretty remarkable moment to see people kind of gathered around TVs pre-kickoff at Carroll Road trying to watch that game so that was that was excellent uh, but nonetheless defeat for the Lionesses defeat for the Lions not a good day to be a member of the Pride thank you very much for listening watching the latest edition of the Pinkin.com Mary City podcast we'll be back next week until then we'll uh, see you again see you soon